what marketing look like to a director of the press? Uh, what's the future of marketing? What's the future of university press in fact? And how does all that tie to public enemy, book deserts, um, and mushrooms? Uh, it's, a, it's a wild, crazy podcast with uh, Lisa Bayer, who is the director at the University of Georgia Press. Um, she's joining us on Sage Marketing uh, to chat about all these different things and more. Um, and so, yeah, sit back and enjoy this Sage Marketing. All right. Well, welcome, Lisa. Thank you for joining me. Thanks, Martin. I'm glad to. So um, we've been going backwards and forwards trying to find a good date for this, uh, and I've, I'm excited that we finally uh, made it work because um, I think you're you're you know obviously you have um, a really interesting take. For those who know you, you have a really interesting take on a lot of things in in the world that we uh, in which we work and. Um, I know you came up through sort of a marketing background, which is why I thought you'd be great for the, the Sage Marketing Podcast, and now here you are as a director at, at Georgia. So I throw it out to you really, you know, just to see where things go, but when you think about marketing and selling Georgia's books now, and you're in the position of director, kind of what is the you know, big picture challenge or thought process that you might have uh, when you think about marketing and selling books? Well, I think that my background of having come up as a book marketing person um, is both a blessing and a curse in my being director now. And I try not to impose myself too much on our marketing and sales department. I, I think that the challenge is what it's always been, whether you are the head of a press or, or, or managing marketing and sales. And that is my feeling was, and is there's always one more thing you can do in marketing, or there are 10 more things you can do. And you never feel as if you have enough time to pursue all the opportunities. I think especially over the past, you know, 30 or so years, I've seen those opportunities change and, and, um, uh, you know, multiply exponentially almost with the advent of the internet, which was very, very new in 1991 when I had got my first position at a scholarly publisher. Um, so I think the, the biggest challenge is to determine the best use of your energies and your dollars, given how many rabbit holes are possible. Yeah, it's very easy uh, to be to not only fall down a rabbit hole, hole but to be led down one, I think, by, by maybe others um, uh, as they sort of, you know, whether that's authors or others in the press or, or uh, uh, stakeholders on campus or whatever it may be. So, yeah, that's it's interesting that you talk about, you know, there's always one more thing you can do, right? Because there, there really is. I mean, there's always one more thing. And then you said um, there's just not enough time. And... I'm curious, um, it, obviously time is a, is a big factor, but is, as we've moved in, you know, more and more into sort of a digital first uh, content-oriented market, marketing efforts and campaigns, is it time that is the biggest concern and constraint to, to you stroke your marketing team now, or is it, is it truly still dollars? That's a really good question. Uh, I would say most of the things that we do are 
uh, really cheap. And I actually really do think it's time, and, and arguably, but my feeling on that is that especially since the 2009 recession, when really every industry changed the way it, it works because of, you know, of, of the crisis, um, that, that we really, you know, we have good people, we have creative, interesting people working in scholarly publishing and university presses, and they have figured out, everyone I know has figured out how to do incredibly creative um, marketing and sales efforts that are really, really um, frugal. Mm. So it, it's time, you know, and it's resources like good internet or, <laughs> you know, having access to, to agreements with, with vendors like NetGalley um, or other things like that, that, that allow you to do um, things like digital digital arcs or or even as something as simple as, as a as a mail room. You know, we're part of the University of Georgia Library. So we we have access to a mail room that processes things for us and, and we have access to student interns who who help us get things done. So I don't know, that's kind of a long rambling answer. But but I think it's more time and energy. Yeah, no, I, I, I I'm you know, I had a when I was at Nebraska, we had a little saying in the marketing team that was cheap and cheerful. And uh, that was, you know, that was kind of like where we started. And then, you know, you try and you try and throw creativity on top of that. But I think you're, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you as well. Um, marketing budgets keep getting cut. And so yeah. find, finding ways to do fun, creative, unusual things that stand out um, are, are really important. But you're, I hadn't really thought about sort of that really foundational stuff like a mailroom. And it's funny that you say that because we don't have access uh, here at Cornell uh, the same way that you're talking about. And that's a real, I mean, just the, the time constraint of that is really interesting. So, yeah. And, okay, well, you made me think, which is kind of like the whole point of this, right? <laughs> okay, so... Uh, you know, that's sort of looking at big challenges and, and, and sort of the past a little bit. And I'm, I'm curious, and I realize that, you know, you're not, um, as you said, you, you try, it's a blessing and a curse, and you try to stay out of the sort of day-to-day, -day, which makes a lot of sense uh, in, in your current position. But <clears throat> when you do think about book marketing and where it's going, um, what does it look like to you? What's kind of like, what's what's, you know, you talked about, the development of the internet and how that has changed things, obviously, and social media and all those kind of things. But what's, what do you see over the next, say, five years as this whole uh, bookmarking thing develops and changes again? So, um, because you very kindly sent me the questions ahead of time, mm -hmm. I've thought about that a little bit this morning. And what I kind of see is the pendulum swinging from... Um, you know, it, it certainly swung from a very local, personal um, bookstore, uh, in-person experience, let's say 30 years ago, to, <clears throat> to the idea that the internet was going to change the way we read, the way we purchased things, the way we interacted with other people, and it has. But I think that what I see right now is 
um, people are interested again in community and in 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 live uh, personal local community. At least that's what I'm seeing in Athens, Georgia, which I think is a somewhat typical college town. Um, so. So, so the future of book marketing and book sales and, and book publishing, I think, is both is going to be to achieve more of a balance between very niche, hyper-focused, um, internet-driven, you know, digital marketing, email marketing, reaching niche groups, um, and this where I this where I might mention you know, reaching the niche group of southeastern mushroom hunters. Yeah, I've been waiting for it. <laughs> Through their internet chat room or their internet, you know, their Facebook group or what have you, and, and balanced by the fact that, um, you know, we're seeing independent bookstores come back a little bit, but they're not like the independent bookstores of 30 years ago. They now um, are absolutely, um, you know, they're absolutely driven by community events, author events. We have two um, branches of Avid Bookshop in Athens, our local independent. I mean, in a town of 100,000 people, we have two very strong independent bookstores. And, um, you know, we work with them all the time at, on book events and, and doing things in the community. So I think that, um, you know, that they're... they're, they're is now much more of a balance between let's go do something, let's go hear an author speak, meet that author, have a Q&A with that author, get a book signed, and maybe have a cocktail at the bar next door, and, and let's, um, you know, let's participate in a live stream on Facebook of something that's happening across the country and, and be engaged in that way. Yeah, I think the, I, I'm, I'm with you on this kind of like the, it's a weird sort of shift to return to local, um, but, but I guess the way I look at it a little bit is that the um, uh, the connectivity of, of on being online in some ways actually allows you to create a whole bunch of locals and yeah. and you know a, a whole bunch of communities that maybe maybe twenty years ago right you could have done a local Athens Georgia thing, but you couldn't have done very easily. Um, uh, for you in, in, in Athens, you couldn't have done something very local in Ithaca, right? Oh, absolutely. But now you can. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. That, no, I, and, you know, as someone who grew up in a very rural part of the U.S., you know, we didn't have a bookstore. Um, I, I absolutely believe that the Internet has um, done some, created some fabulous opportunities for communities to form, and I am especially try to stay attuned to the fact that, you know, for so much of the U.S., there still isn't a local bookstore. Mm. There isn't, um, you know, there isn't that gathering point. I mean, there's a class issue at play here too. I mean, a lot of the a lot of the local is driven by the hipster, and mm. I, and I think you know you have to be very aware of that. So um, it all works together. I hope for mostly for the good. Yeah, absolutely. It's got to be. <clears throat> this is taking things into a strange realm, but you and I were having a a Twitter discussion this morning. Um, that came out of Amazon and libraries, and we were talking about, you know, this, this sort of local aspect. And I think some of what was driving my uh, my original question, in a way, was 
that knowledge of the fact that so few people or so many people in parts of this country and then globally aren't close to, like you say, a local bookstore or even a local library. And so how do you in some ways engage with them? I think that what you're talking about in terms of the future of marketing is is exactly that, is finding those communities and being able to talk to them and be a part of their conversation and show how your content can interact with what they're interested in, no matter where they are. That's right, because there are most definitely book deserts, just as there are food deserts, and they're not, you can't equate them, because, you know, you have to have food to survive, and that's a much more serious issue, but I think in the feeding of the mind, and in the desire, the human desire, you know, to to connect through literature, through art, um, it, it, it is a really intriguing uh, problem for us to try to try to address as publishers. Absolutely. So I, I um, the idea of book deserts, uh, d- deserts. <laughs> Maybe that's where <laughs> my mind is. Time. Yeah, book book deserts uh, is yeah. is really a fascinating one. I'm going to give that some thought as well. Um, okay. So so kind of broadening out or, or moving up away from the sort of marketing uh, level. Um, when you think, so, you know, again, still thinking towards the future, but so what do you think of when you think of the future of the press, of the university press in general, you know, putting on your direct, your real director hat now, um, when you think, again, sort of five, ten years down the road, what do you see as the, the, the landscape of university presses or maybe just in, 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 the, in the singular a university press? Sure. Um Interesting, uh, interesting thought. I, 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 I'm going to put my Doug Armato hat on <laughs> and, and say that, you know, I don't think much is going to change. You know, we, we're still talking about the same things we were talking about 30 years ago, mostly in the way of issues and problems. And, and I think a lot of what we do um, will look very similar. However, having attended... Um, a conference in London earlier this year called University Press Redux, which is primarily UK university presses, but it actually did have representatives from publishers, I think from, you know, from all, definitely from all over the world. What, one thing that I, that I see, and it's more of a structural thing, is um, more university presses being uh, being part of, in one way or another, their the academic library that's that's on the campus, and we're I mean we're already seeing this. I think thirty two or thirty four of members of the Association of University Presses are now um, reporting to their libraries. But I know in the UK, the real growth for university presses is university presses growing out of libraries, um, and that's a different sort of press than what we would call the traditional university press. So I think maybe some different organizational structures mm-hmm. for whatever, you know, for a variety of reasons. So when you think about the, the library connections, and like you said, just maybe there's a lot of different ways of doing that, but are there, what advantages, Not and I don't mean just necessarily like, um, uh, financial stability or connections to campus, but are there ways that a university press can take advantage of that sort of very close or closer connection to a library, an academic library on campus in terms of content, in terms of marketing, in terms of uh, acquisitions? I mean, are there just things that 
that can be used to the advantage of the press? Absolutely. Um, and I would refer your listeners to, um, to a blog post, actually based on my keynote at University Press Redux, um, which is called Let's Stay Together. And essentially I was looking at university presses and their relationships with their host institutions. So it's a broader than what you've posed, but it does um, include a lot of good survey feedback from presses reporting to libraries and just how those relationships um, are positive and can also, you know, be challenges. I mean, I can only speak to my experience here at Georgia. We've reported to the university libraries for about going on nine years now, I think, and we physically moved into the main library six years ago. It's all been, I think, quite positive for the press and also for the libraries. It's, um, it's a mutually beneficial relationship. We have worked with the libraries and continue to on programming. They have a special collections library building. They have wonderful exhibits. We have worked with them to, um, you know, we've gotten book ideas from those exhibits. We, we are hoping to publish some books for new exhibits down the road. Um, we work with the university librarian and the Digital Humanities Lab, which is part of the libraries, to enhance uh, some of our monograph publishing with digital components. Um, you know, the librarians come to us all the time with questions about scholarly publishing, it, it, and we go to them with questions about, um, you know, acquisitions, librarianship. We see one another at the Charleston Conference, and it sort of feeds into our conversations. I would say that being part of the university libraries has meant the difference between being a small office of 22 people located off campus, well off campus, and now being part of a 300-person unit on campus that um, is really central. It's still at Georgia, the university library is central to what the campus is about, and now the press is part of that too. Hmm. Interesting. Um, I, if you send me the link to that blog post, I'll put it in the uh, notes for the episode so that anybody yeah. can, uh, can access that Absolutely. as well, because that does sound like a, a good read. And um, yeah, okay. So shifting gears just slightly, um, this is a question that I asked somebody and, and I got a really good answer once and I've, I've now started to try and uh, add it in when I can, but what is, if, if if you could have everybody in university press publishing know one thing, what is that one thing? So everyone in university press publishing or everyone to know something about university press Ooh. publishing? Ooh. Um, well, let's do both. Let's do both. Let's, uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> if, you, if you had a, the entire, you know, if you, if you were doing... Uh, if you had everybody in, in the AUP in front of you and you wanted them to know one thing, what would it be? And then second, or first, however you want to take them, uh, if you could broadcast to the universe uh, the one thing about university press publishing that you think they should know, there you go. So the both those things. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. So if I had everyone, a captive audience of the AUP, yeah. Um, 
in front of me the one thing well and I, so okay this is something i've been thinking about every time i go to an annual meeting every june i observe you know it's good people watching right and i'm yeah. observing um when we're all, all 800 of us are in the banquet hall or what have you. And I've said this to many of my friends, um, you know, 25 years ago, I was that young person over there with all the other beautiful young people laughing at our table, me, me and my <laughs> now. I, I, you know, I, I would thought that, um, you know, this sort of irreverence of youth and I know everything. Yeah. You know, how to do things better and and this and that and um i think that what i would want every well gosh i don't know i'm, I'm probably speaking just to the youthful the, the millennials mm -hmm. who, who are who are amazing and many of whom work with me and 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 we've mentored and sent on to other jobs um but i i think what i would want people to know is that change feels really um overwhelming and um it feels like it, it, it's it's impossible and and possibly um, you know damaging and negative. But really, it's like riding a long wave. You know, if it, it, you're just going to ride it and you're going to get off, and then you're going to get on another one. And I've seen so many waves come over um, the. You know, I've seen so many waves in the past. 25 to 30 years and really in the end it kind of all balances out mm -hmm. don't be afraid don't be don't feel like um it, well don't believe the um i don't know i often feel like the main vibe of university press discourse which is also the main vibe of higher education discourse is you know, dystopian, but I don't believe that at all. I don't believe that at all. On my better days, on Mondays, I don't. On Mondays, that. yeah. I thought I, I thought you were you were about to quote Public Enemy to me and say, "Don't believe the hype." That's where I thought you were going for a second. Then, um, see, I'll let you chime in, and we'll both look really cool. <laughs> but no, I think that's a really. I mean, I think, yeah, that idea of dystopian. Uh, Almost futility, maybe. That, yeah, yeah, that's a good word. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. A, that. That yeah. is something that we should do our best to try and avoid. And I mean, it's you can, you know, you can find something to complain about very easily, right? But mm -hmm. we we also do a pretty fun thing, um, and so yeah, maybe um, searching for that like that excitement, and even when change feels overwhelming, like you say, there's another wave coming, so might as well get on board and enjoy it. Yeah, and it also sounds like I've surfed, and I've it never does. surfed. It does. I know you. But were... it was a great metaphor. <laughs> I, so, there you, you just, are. You just pitched yourself as a, a mushroom expert, a public enemy quota, and and, uh, and, and, a and surfer. Surf. This is quite yeah, the eclectic Lisa we're getting right here. <laughs> okay, now flipping that round, what's the one thing you wish everybody knew who's not in in university press publishing uh, about what we do? Well, I wish people understood what the hell we do. You know, I've been trying to explain to my parents for 25 years what yeah. I do. I think finally, um, you know, they're on our newsletter mailing list, and they see my picture every six months with the little letter from the director. And so I'm like, oh, right, books. Okay, all right. I understand now. Um, I think, I think, you know, I'm always really, I'm always thinking about... Um, 
public investment in education. And, you know, I'm a first-generation college student and, and a product of uh, public university education, and I work at a flagship, you know, land-grant state university. So I think that I wish that people understood that um, univer how, how the books that we publish do contribute to the public good. Um, and I and I think that is every. It's not just you know the um, you know the guide to to wildflowers that we published with the state botanical garden, and it's not just the uh, you know um, the endangered Georgia coast environmental studies that we do, but but it's also the um, you know the American history monographs and the. Um, the, the film studies and the animal studies. I, I, I wish that I wish that we did a better job articulating our contribution to public good and, and public discourse and the public square. And I wish that in our country right now, the potential audience out there was more amenable to hearing about how um, colleges and universities and university presses contributed to that good. Because hmm. I feel like there's a there's an issue, you know, maybe on both sides. Hmm. Sounds like uh, your new marketing and sales director, Stephen, has uh, his work cut out for him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's. Uh, I am. I couldn't be more pleased with uh, his attention to to the public square. He's, <laughs> he's really getting it. So. Well, excellent. You'll have to get him some kind of like a old town crier outfit or something for that public square. <laughs> I think we're the 13th colony. We actually have one of those in our special collection. Oh my gosh, perfect. I'll pull it out. <laughs> um, Lisa, I really appreciate you chatting to me about these things. You've, I think you've given uh, some people a lot, uh, you know, things to think about, and um, your reflections are, are, you know, much appreciated. So thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Martin. Thanks for having me. That was the excellent and entertaining and smart Lisa Bayer, who is the director at the University of Georgia Press. You can find Lisa on Twitter at Lisa M. Bayer, B-A-Y-E-R. You can find me on Twitter at Martin Beanie. You can get the link to her blog about uh, university presses and their host institutions. I'll put that in the notes for this episode. And I hope you've enjoyed it. So uh, that was Sage Martin, and uh, until next time.